Lord, we pray this morning as we open your word together that you would delight in us as we delight in you. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Be with us now as we study together. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. We have been talking about the day of the Lord. It's been very exciting to look at the second coming. Um, It's been a delight. And we have, last week we spent time talking about the judgment. Uh, The week before we spent time talking about the resurrection. This week we're going to talk about the applications that are found when we as believers think about the judgment. When we think about judgment. Um, And we're going to see that here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So let's read together and then dive right in. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up just as you are doing. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So what does the day of judgment prompt for Christians? What does it prompt? And first thing that we see here is Paul's address to them, the Thessalonians, is his, his address to them is that now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anyone, for anything to be written to you. You don't have any need for somebody to write this to you, to explain to you the times and seasons. And then Paul goes on to write about it, which is very pastory, isn't it? Just for a moment, let's remember that Paul is a pastor to these people. And even though they don't need the reminder, even though they don't necessarily have to have the reminder, they get this reminder, because he loves them and cares for them, and there is something worth worth their attention. So he he exclaims here that you don't need anyone to write this to you, and then I want you just to take note of the fours. You got a four in verse two, you got a four in verse five, you got a a sub four in verse seven. That's I'm gonna call it you'll see why that's a sub four in a minute, but it's a sub four in verse seven, and then another four in verse nine. So two, five, and nine give us breakdown here. 
four. Reason being, why don't you need this to be written to you? Well, the first one, for you yourselves are fully aware. The second one, for you are children of the light. And the third one, for God has not destined us for wrath. You don't need to have anything written to you because one, you're fully aware. Two, you're children of the light. And three, God has destined you for wrath. Sometimes the Bible makes it really easy to see the points. Today is one of those times. So this is easy for us to follow here. So first, he says, you are fully aware. This means having full understanding, in particular, of judgment. You are able to understand judgment. You know it's coming. You're able to understand it. You are fully aware that that judgment exists, that there is a righteousness and an unrighteousness, and that unrighteousness is punished, and that righteousness is not punished, and that the only way to be righteous is in Jesus Christ. You're fully aware of that. You get it. You understand that judgment is coming. You look around the world. This this is one of the easy ways that, that we can explain this. You are fully aware. In other words, you look around the world, and you know that the world needs to be judged. You look around the world, and you know the world needs to be judged. And then you narrow the focus, and you look around your immediate circumstances, and you know that you deserve Judgment, And then you look at yourself and you know that you deserve judgment. You are fully aware. There's no pretense of I'm better than these people. Not with the Thessalonians. Remember, they are living a peaceful and quiet life, striving to be holy. They're wrestling to be holy. So we see here that there is a judgment that we are fully aware of. We understand the judgment. And this understanding of judgment as Christians leads us not to anger, but to pity. Because we're chapter 4. We're chapter 4 believers. We're the ones in chapter 4, 13 through the end in chapter 4. We're, 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 that, we're those guys. We're the ones that get resurrected and taken away from judgment. We're, we're the ones that get to ride back with him. We're the ones that get caught up in the clouds and, and we're not better than anybody else. You see, understanding judgment doesn't bring anger or frustration with the world. It brings pity and a broken heart over it. Understanding grace can only lead to pity for those who reject Just remember the warnings of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, when he warns us to take heed. You think you walk, you think you stand upright, take heed, lest you fall. Right? He warns us in 1 Corinthians again, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, he reminds us that we're the same as everybody around us. We're just the same. The, The difference is not me, but Jesus. The difference is not my presence, but Jesus' presence in me. Then we, we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he warns us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to have sober judgment and be discerning. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but have sober judgment and be Discerning. So the first thing that a full understanding of judgment leads us to, a fully, being fully aware of judgment leads us to, is pity. Is pity and compassion for the world around us. 
And I don't know how you couldn't have pity and compassion for them. They're going to die. And I don't mean temporal death. I mean eternal death. Indeed, they don't even have life now. They're walking zombies spiritually. They're, they're just dead people. They don't know the joy of life. They don't have the ups and downs that you have. They don't have the abundance that you have of life. So, of course, you would pity. Of course, you would pity. The second thing that this fully aware leads to is a sense of urgency in Scripture. Romans 13, 11 says salvation is nearer now than it was before, which I always thought was a funny thing to say because, of course, salvation is nearer now. Everything's nearer now. Right? The judgment is nearer now. The salvation is nearer now than it was five minutes ago. Yes, we're five minutes closer. That's, that's obvious. But Paul says this is a sense of urgency in us, that salvation is nearer now than it was ever before. And not only that, but it's at hand. Jesus even says, don't wait. You don't have time. You don't have time to wait. There's a sense of urgency here. And we're warned in Revelation 3, behold, I'm coming soon. And then again in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 2, now is the favorable time to trust in Christ. Now is the time. Then Ephesians 5, 16 tells Christians, tells us to make the most of the day. Make the most of the time you have because the days are against you. Time is fleeting. It is flying by. You don't have time. The world does not have time. There's a sense of urgency here. Repent and believe now. Repent and believe now. Because you know what's coming. So you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief in the night. Others will say there is peace and security. This is every State of the Union address since I have been born. There is peace and security. Every single one, even when there's not, that's what people say. People in power always say everything's at peace, everything's good, because they want to keep their power. There is peace and security. People will be apathetic to what is going on in the world. They'll be complacent and comfortable. They're going to be wealthy and and well off. They're going to say there's peace and security. We are good. We are doing well. And if you point out that there's not peace and security, that there's wars and rumors of wars, they're going to say, ah, why would we listen to you? Why would we listen to you? There's peace and security. They're going to say these things. And here we have Paul telling us, you yourselves are fully aware that the Lord, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We talked about this last week. Thieves in the night do not give warnings. If you missed it, last week is online. You can hear the podcast and, and, and get it. But thieves don't give warnings. This is a sudden thing. This is a, they broke into your house and took something that's what a thief is like. I don't know if you've ever been robbed. 
or if you've ever had your house broken into, I have multiple times in my life been robbed. People take things and they go away. They, they hide. And, and it's not a normal thing to happen, just in case you're like, well, everybody has it. It's not nor- No, being stolen from, having your house broken in is not a common thing, but it also isn't that rare. But I've had that happen. And I know what a thief in the night feels like. I know what that feels like because you are, you are secure. You think your house is safe. You locked the doors. You set the alarm. And you came home and stuff was gone. That's what a thief in the night is like. Everyone was saying peace and security and then it's done. It's over. Your peace and security doesn't exist. And there's a sense in which for months you're triple checking locks. You're triple checking locks and you're going back to your doors and making sure things are on. You, you ponder whether or not you want to join a neighborhood watch after you've been robbed. That happens. You, you ponder and if you don't have one, you ponder whether or not you want to start one. You start playing detective at first. Right? You start looking around your house looking for clues. The police come and they dust for prints and you go, ah, we'll catch them now. By the way, that's a completely useless activity. Just makes your house dirty. They dust for prints and they take the prints up and they go, ah, we'll run these prints. And you get this mental image of all that stuff that happens on TV. That, that's not how that works. And it doesn't, doesn't work. They... The police tell you they're going to look for the person and they might find your stuff at a pawn shop or they might run into your person and maybe in a couple years you'll get that TV that's now outdated and has a scratch on it back. But you play detective first and then you go through this period of locking everything up and then you go through this insecurity until at last, if you're a Christian, you look at the Lord and go, all my stuff is earthly and doesn't matter anyway. And you trust the Lord. Because you're fully aware that the day of judgment will come like a thief in the night. But your confidence is not in this life, but in Christ's life that covers you. And that can't be taken away. That can't be taken away from you. No one can take that. Jesus himself says, I I hold in my hand all the Father has given me. None can take them from me. You know that includes you? I can't take myself from him. He holds me. He keeps me. He's the one that that I have my security in. I have my security in him and in him alone. So we see him proclaiming this, that, that the world will have sudden loss. They will have sudden loss. This is what happens to the world. They think there's peace and security. There will be sudden suffering and loss and surprising destruction, and they will not escape. That's what we read there. You are fully aware that this is going to happen. You're fully aware of why this is going to happen, and it should drive you to compassion and pity. You are fully aware 
verse 4. But you are not in darkness. Unlike them, you're not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief in the night. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. You are children of the light. So first, you're fully aware. Second, you are children of the light. Go to John. Well, think about Think about light first, before we go to John chapter 12. Think about light first. When you think about light, light does not get overtaken by darkness, right? If you have a source of light, it expands into darkness. Darkness does not expand into it. It's a, it's a contrary thought that darkness could actually overtake light. It can't. It's an impossibility because darkness is precisely the absence of the light. So wherever the light is present, darkness goes away. And I want you to think just for a minute about the nature of light. When light is in a room, you see. You, can, you know things exist. Things are exposed. I think about going into a dark, dingy, uh, old, broken down building and you've seen it in movies you've you've done it yourself you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light and what's the first thing that happens in those old dark dingy movies roaches they're suddenly visible and they're all over the place and they run immediately because roaches are gross and they don't like light They get exposed because in the light, they're exposed. In the light, they're exposed. Everything's exposed. All our warts and bumps are exposed. And there's an interesting facet about light. I'm an artist, so I do a lot of of painting and artwork stuff. and, And there's an interesting facet of light. On the light scale, the more fluorescent the light, the more detail is lost. The more, the less fluorescent the light the more detail shows. But, but brightness, the brighter the light, the more your eyes have to adjust to it. Your eyes have to adjust extremely to really, really bright light. So I want you to think about the nature of light, though. It exposes everything, including you. If you're trying to hide and you turn on the light, you've done a very bad job hiding. Light exposes everything, including the person who wants the light there. So, with that in mind, John chapter 12, verse 35 through 36, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. He's talking to his disciples. He says, I am on the earth here present with you for a little bit longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons or children of light. So that you may become sons or children of light. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, while you have the light, walk with the light. Walk with me. So he's telling his disciples here on earth, this is an actual, he is walking on the earth with them. And he's saying, while I'm here, walk with me. 
walk with me while I'm here, lest the darkness overtake you. Remember, Judas is in the group. Lest the darkness overtake you. There is going to be at least one whom darkness is going to overtake. Because he's not going to walk with the light. So he's with his 12 and he says, least the darkness overtake you. It's the same word. The reason that this passage should jump out at us is because that word, the darkness overtake you, is the same one that is used here in 1 Thessalonians 5 when it says, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief in the night, to overtake you is that word. You're not... You're not in the darkness for that day to overtake you. So you aren't of the darkness. You aren't of the darkness. What's the difference between us and the disciples in John 12? It's, well, it's the next part. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of or children of light. The same thing that's written here in chapter, five, in chapter 5, verse 5. For you are children of the light, or sons of the light. You get the light, and not only do you get the light, but it's your parentage. It's who you are. It's a part of you. You are little lights. You are little lights, which means you expose darkness. When you believe in Jesus... You expose darkness. Darkness doesn't have a place in your life. You are not overtaken by it because you are emanating light from within you. The light lives in you. So you're emanating that light. So so darkness can't overtake you. You are not in darkness to be surprised or overtaken like a thief. You're, You're not. It won't overtake you. It can't. You are sons And daughters of the light, if the light is in you, the light is your parentage. And you are sons of the light, so you don't walk in darkness. It doesn't make sense for a Christian to walk in the darkness. So what does a son of light look like? What does a child of the light look like? Just for a moment, one of the easiest ways to see this is to look at uh, 1 John. 1 John gives us at least 13 tests of faith. Are you really a believer? And there's, there's at least 13 of them. It depends on how you parse them out, but there's at least 13 different tests of faith. I'm not going to list off all 13, um, but I am going to list off seven things that it says about children of the light. So first, in, first, the children of light do not hide. Let's just go over to 1 John and we'll read, read these so that we hear the word uh, clearly. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Children of the light do not hide. It says... Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. We don't hide. We don't say I have no sin. We don't hide our sins. We don't try to say that there is no sin. We are exposed. Children of the light are exposed before the Lord. If we say we have no sin, the truth of God is not in us. Second, children of light are not hypocritical. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whomever says, uh, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. 
Children of the light are not hypocrites. They're not. They're not hypocrites. They do what they say. They say they believe in Jesus and they do what Jesus says. They do what Jesus says. You know the number one complaint about the American church from people outside the church? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. According to 1 John, the American church evidently doesn't look Christian. We are not hypocrites. If you believe in Jesus, if you are a son of the light, you are a daughter of the light, you live a life that is honest and transparent and that obeys, that obeys Jesus. I love this, by the way, just a side note. When, when you meet Christians who are genuine Christians and you read something in Scripture and they are living totally contrary to it and you read it and they go, well, I guess I got to change. Like that's their first, their, it's so simple. It's not hard. It's not complex. You read it with them. It says, no longer do this thing. And they go, oh, I guess I can't do that thing anymore. That is beautiful. And that is Christianity at its finest. That is what we are. Children of the light are not hypocrites. Children of the light love the saints. Look at 1 John 2, 9. 1 John 2, 9. It says, whoever says... He is in the light and hates his brother, is still in darkness. And that's repeated again in different words in 1 John 4, 20. If you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you love the saints. You love the saints with all their warts and messes and problems. Because we're all exposed, so we see them all. We're all exposed, so we see all of our, all of our flaws, all of our sins, all of our selfishness, all of our eccentricities, all of our unique character traits. And that can drive you to do one of two things, by the way. When you're a believer, it can drive you to do one of two things. It can either drive you to be completely frustrated with the church, or it can drive you to recognize that the church is the only place where every person is absolutely unique. And you get to be a part of that. And you get to love that. And you get to be loved in that. When we let it drive us to be frustrated, we behave in contradiction to the word of God. But when we allow ourselves to see the beauty in a bunch of unique, bumpy, awkward people who are completely exposed and honest before each other, we allow it to see that. Oh, what a beautiful thing to know that the grace of God can unite that group of people. The grace of God can unite groups of people who have nothing in common except Jesus. Absolutely nothing in common except Jesus. Absolutely nothing in common except for Jesus. Fourth, Sons of light are guided by the Spirit. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 and 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught, just as it has taught you, abide in him. A Christian, a son of the light, lives by the Spirit, is guided by the Spirit. A 
A son of the light is guided by the Spirit. Fifth, a son of light is marked by love. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but you can just look at John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. The whole thing. God is love. We know that we love God if we love others. We know that His love abides in us and how we love others. Jesus even says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So we see God is love, marked by love. Number six, we're marked by holiness. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. says, everyone who makes practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. It's important to note that practice is a general pattern of life here. So when it says he makes a practice of sin, that means their general pattern of life is sinful. So it makes a practice of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's really harsh. Just pause right there and hear how harsh that is. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Of the devil. That is an extreme call to repent. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Number seven. Christians live courageously with regard to loving others. Christians live courageously. Sons of light live courageously with regard to loving others. Chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We do not live by fear. We live in brave, courageous Reckless, almost reckless love. It's, I say almost because it's Jesus' love and therefore it's always there. But we live in that love, not in fear. We live in courage and courageously. So then, if this is true, this is true of us. Flip back over to 1 Thessalonians 5. If this is true of us, we are children of the light. So then, verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. So we've got this statement. We do not sleep and we are to be sober. Two instructions there, applications that Paul gives us because we are children of the light. If we're children of the light, no sleeping and no, no drunkenness. It's sober. We need to be sober-minded. No loose minds. Sober. So no sleeping, no loose mind. Now this word for sleep, just to be clear, is not the same word that was used earlier to describe Christians who have fallen asleep. It's a different word. This word for sleep means something else. This word for sleep, it, it's, it's pointing to an apathy or an indifference. An indifference. A, a, well, he hasn't come back yet, so why am I worried? 
He hasn't come back yet, so if he's not com- maybe he's not coming back at all. This kind of apathy. An apathy towards things of God, towards Jesus. This also plays itself out in the, well, one day I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, get that, I'll get my life right one day. I'll get my life right one day. You've heard that. Well, one day I'll get my life right and I'll start coming back. You know, I'll come back to worship. I'll come back to church. I'll get my life right and I'll come back. No, you don't have time. Don't sleep. That's sleeping. That's sleeping. One day I'll get it right. I'll come back. I'll, I'll fix all this stuff in my life. You're sleeping. You're taking a nap spiritually. You don't have time to do that. Paul says, do not sleep. Many in our day are apathetic, believing that the Lord will not come back, or at least passively acting like he's not going to come back. They got their fire insurance card in their pocket. They went to RA camp, VBS, youth camp, whatever. They walked forward. They got dunked in some water, and they think they're fine. They think they're fine, but they're not. And they don't know that they're not. And they're asleep, but they're not. They shouldn't be because children of light don't sleep. Children of light are children of the day, not children of the night. Sleeping is what you do at night. We're children of the day. We work. We're awake. We're alert. We are of the day. Daytime people live with holy expectation at the return of the Lord. We live like every day he's coming back tomorrow. We live like every day he might be back in a moment. That's how Christians live. That's why you can have joy. That's why we can have joy. Because at any moment he can come back. And for us, that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's heaven on earth. That's everything finishing and being beautiful. And it will always be at just the right time. There is no room for darkness dwelling as a Christian. There is no room for darkness dwelling as a Christian. If you are a Christian and you try to dwell in the things of the darkness, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you and you're not going to like it. and It's going to feel bad. Because there's no room for it. You are a child of the light. You expose the darkness and darkness cannot overtake you. There's no room for it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them as light is supposed to do. Expose them. This is who we are as Christians. We are to call sin, sin. We are to act holy. We are to be holy ourselves. And not in judgment, but in compassion. In compassion towards others. Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14 says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and, not in quarreling and jealousy. We are to live differently than this world. We have to live differently than this world. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We are to do this now. We are to be awake and alert. 
We are to war against sin in our own life, and we are to encourage brothers and sisters against sin in their own life. We are to walk as a community of faith against the evil of sin and darkness. We have a mission. God doesn't need the church to be just filled with a bunch of people who are coming to consume. The church doesn't need that. The church in America needs soldiers. We don't need acolytes. We got tons of those. You put up a big screen TV and a really good band and you'll get tons of acolytes. You'll get them. You make things look really pretty and you'll get a crowd. may not be the best crowd, but it'll be a crowd. The church doesn't need that. The church needs soldiers. The church needs people who will stand for holiness and righteousness and goodness and warn their neighbors of the impending doom, who will be light in a world that is dark, who will stand for justice, who when we see something is unjust in the world, will actually do something about it. We'll actually petition our congressmen. We'll actually write our city. We'll actually talk to people. We'll actually engage. We stand for justice when something's wrong. We stand for righteousness when something's sinful. We stand for kindness when people are broken and compassion. This is who we are. We are soldiers in the kingdom. We are to be alert and awake. We are not to sleep. Next phrase there is sober. To be Sober, to be free from intoxicants. It is a steady and self-controlled life. Serious but balanced. Uh, Hendrickson, a theologian named Hendrickson, writes this. The sober person lives deeply. His pleasures are not primarily those of the senses, like the pleasures of drunkard, for instance, but those of the soul. He is by no means a stoic. On the contrary, with full measure of joy, anticipation, with joyful anticipation, he looks forward to the return of the Lord. But he does not run away from his task. Now, both here and also in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, there are two verbs. Be awake and be sober. And they're used as synonyms. The Apostle's exhortation then here amounts to this. Let us not be lax and unprepared, but let us be prepared by being spiritually alert, firm in the faith, courageous, strong, calmly, but with glad anticipation, looking forward to the future day. I love that quote because, because often we think of sober as boring. The person who's sober is the one who's, you know, Serious all the time. No, sober doesn't mean serious. It means deep. Deep. Like you, you get abundance. Like what Jesus says. I will give you life, not just life, but life abundant. Up and down, highs and lows. Christians live a full life. Happy and sad. We have an abundant life. Abundance all over sobriety, being sober, is living a deep, full existence. He says, be awake and be sober. We live by faith further here. He continues this saying, 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of, sal- of the hope of salvation. So we live by faith and love and hope. This is the big three, right? When, when uh, Paul talks about all the spiritual gifts, he says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Right? And the greatest of these is love. And then he gives you the great chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, apt that we would look at it today, since Valentine's Day is this week. We see this idea of love being the greatest character trait of Christianity. In fact, uh, John chapter 13, Jesus says you'll be marked by love. First uh, John chapter 4, we live in love and God is love. And if we know God, we are loving and we love others. This is one of the greatest traits that Christians have. Faith and love are our breastplate here. Paul says we live by these. They protect us. They protect us. And, and somebody once, uh, one theologian I read talked about how faith and love, faith is this outer breastplate protecting you from the world and love is this inner breastplate strengthening you to face it. That love would be this inner comfort and the, and the faith would be the outer strength that can have you press through the world. That's a beautiful thing. I think what Paul was getting at here is that faith and love are married. And if you have faith, you have love. And if you have faith, you have love and they are your breastplate and you're guided by the hope of salvation. Your, your helmet, that which protects your mind, that which protects your thoughts and your decisions. The hope of salvation. The helmet, the hope of salvation. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 puts the same idea this way. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That is salvation. You are thinking of the hope of salvation. That's what those things are. You are thinking about those things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your mind on the things that are above. Not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind on the things that are above. You are to have an eternal perspective as a Christian. So as a Christian, we live awake. We're children of light. We live awake. We don't, we don't sleep. We don't take spiritual naps. We live a life in pursuit of Jesus. Don't take spiritual naps. They're not good for you. They just hurt. We don't play in the darkness. Two, we are sober. We live deep, full lives. We think deeply about things. This is an application. So think deeply about things. You're a child of the light. So stay awake and think deeply about things. Live with faith and love, covering your heart and your deeds and protecting you and guiding your steps and, and covering who you are. You ought to be marked by faith and love. That ought to be what's on your chest. Faith and love. And focus your mind on the helmet, the hope of salvation. Your life is guided by this. This is where your, your perspective is supposed to be. This is where your delight is. You're supposed to think about things from above. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, we have the last four. So you yourselves are fully aware. You are children of the light. That's number two. And then here, verse four. Four, I mean, verse nine. For God 
has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. This word asleep, not the same word as do not sleep. This word asleep is the one that was used before to describe Christians who die on this earth. Whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So we see this third point here. You are not destined for wrath. Why why do we not have to worry about the times and the seasons? Why do we not have to be concerned with those things? Why do we not have to do that? Because we're fully aware, we're children of the light, and we were destined for salvation. God destined you for him. Indeed, that's what salvation is. Salvation is being present with Jesus for eternity. Salvation is I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will be among them. That's salvation. Salvation is the glory of God being among us forever. That's salvation. So we see in this passage, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we obtain that? He died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He died for us, bringing us life, taking death upon himself, sin and death upon himself, that you would have life. Your old man dies with him. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. For he who knew no sin became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. You get salvation. That's why you shouldn't be concerned about times and seasons. That's why you don't have to worry about those things. You're fully aware of them. You are children of light. And God destined you for salvation. I always love when people try to have the argument about God destining them for salvation. And they they try to, well, how do you know? Well, because you're hearing this right now. You are in the place where you are hearing the call to repent and believe right now. So if there's any inclination in your heart to turn and trust Him, guess what? You're destined by God for salvation. That's what this passage says. You are destined by God for salvation. He didn't destine us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Trust in Christ Jesus and be saved. Then he says this last verse, which is the, the last part of that verse in verse 10, which is beautiful. That we might live with him. We might live with him. This is a repeat of what he said in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 13, 17. We will always be with the Lord. We might live with him. We will always be with the Lord. Do you do you hear that? That's Jesus saying to you, you belong with me. You belong with me. You're mine and you'll always be with me. You will always be with me. You belong to me. You will be with me. That's what Jesus, that's what's being communicated here. That when we are caught up in the clouds with him, we are with him forever. And when we When we live this way, we're with Him forever. You'll always be with Him. 
There's no distance, no break, no depression, no separation, no, no doubting, no, no staying far off. We will live with Him forever and we will have life and it will be eternal beyond our comprehension. Oh, it will be, it will be beautiful. We will be with Him forever. That is the gospel, that you get life from the life giver forever and you belong to him. And there's no, there's no, Lord, do I really deserve this? Do I really get this? No, there's none of that. There is simply, you have it and you belong to him forever. You are his with him. None can take you from his hand. None can remove you from him. He is God and you are his forever. So encourage one another with these words, brothers. What an apt thing to end with. So encourage one another with these words, brothers. I have a homework assignment for everybody. I want you just to skim through the scripture wherever you're reading right now. Skim through the scripture and whenever you see something about eternity or about heaven, write it down. Write it down. I think you'll be surprised how much you see. Just write it down. Put a piece of paper next to your Bible. When you read it, as you read it, just mark it, up, mark it down. Like, write it down. You can highlight it if you want to. If you're a highlighter, you can highlight it. But just write it down and enjoy. Feast on that. Set your mind on the hope of salvation. And then encourage one another with these words. Share those with each other. Text each other. I saw this today. I saw that today. Tell them. Tell them. Tell people that aren't here that you're thinking about. Hey, I saw this today in Scripture. Thought it might be encouraging. John makes us do this. Tell them. You can, you can blame me. We're honest. You can tell them. I told you to text them. That's fine. Do this. Watch as God sets your heart ablaze when you set your mind on the things above. Father, we love you and we trust you in all things. Lord, we pray that as we... Um, as we tune our hearts and minds to you, you would remind us of the sacrifice.